Well, it seems that uh, love gets a lot of attention and a lot of space in our society these days. I have long said that if you'll listen to the music of our day, just tune in to the radio, you will have a soundtrack for our lives. Because what we hear on the radio tends to be, especially the popular stuff, tends to be an insight into what we're thinking and how we feel about a lot of things. And so, as I said, love gets a lot of attention and a lot of space in our world. And every generation has their love songs. My daughter was married a few years ago now. I don't know, three or four or something like that. And one of the songs that they played, actually it was a song that she and her husband uh, new husband danced to, well, wait a minute, you don't dance, Baptists don't dance, what would be the right word? Um, they listened expressively to the song by John Legend called Love, oh, excuse me, All of Me, and here are some of those lyrics, because all of me loves all of you, you're my end and my beginning, but I can't help falling in love with you. My generation, some of us at least, followed James Taylor, who said it this way, I needed shelter of someone's arms, and there you were. I needed someone to understand my ups and downs, and there you were. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Maybe the Everly Brothers and Nazareth said it best when they said simply, love hurts. <laughs> Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We go to a new series today, and as we go to this new series, we're going to camp out in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll eventually be in verse, uh, chapter 13 for a while, but we start today at the end of chapter 12. We'll get there in just a few moments. But as we consider love and its place in our world and its uh, expression of that in the music that we listen to, you would think that with all of the attention that love gets, that that would ensure that we get love right. But unfortunately, that is too often not the case. I would suggest to you that the pace of life and the pressures that the digital world of our day puts on us also puts incredible pressure on our relationships. We are busy and we are distracted by all things digital. And so what happens or what tends to happen is that inside the family unit and then even the step or two outside of that family unit is this pressure that we have, whether it's from our schedules or from the digital world or from our jobs or whatever it happens to be, the tendency is that in our families we begin to share a house together, but not necessarily share a life together. What does love have to say about that? Because that reality that I just expressed to you over time has a way of eroding the foundation of love in our relationships. We develop code language that lets us off of the hook on those kind of things. You know, at one point, we we have this statement that says, well, we, we just fell in love. I always get on guard when people start talking like that. Most people don't fall in love. They jump in looking for something. Or maybe they see something that they like, so they jump after it. But the reality is some people say, well, we fell in love, but here's the code language we use, but we just grew apart. 
Or we might even say that we fell in love, but, you know, that's over now. There's incredible pressure on the relationships of our lives, and those pressures begin to erode the foundation of our relationships with one another. And when it comes to finding a solution before it's too late, we might well ask, what should we do? If you find yourself there today, either in a broken relationship or one that seems to be breaking, and just for the record, we have a host of relationships in our lives, and all of these uh, truths that we're about to talk about fit into those relationships, even inside the church. When it begins to break down or when we begin to recognize the pressures that are coming at us from the outside, what should we do? What works? First Corinthians 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul will say to us in no uncertain terms that when you're in that kind of situation, love works. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church, a series of house churches that are desperately unhealthy. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were celebrating and observing the Lord's Supper together, but uh, and now we take a little different turn on that. It's the same situation. Paul writes into these churches that are stratified, or at least the people in them are stratifi- stratified economically, and, they're, and now they're beginning to pull that Roman societal re- uh, reality into the church. And so those who are the haves uh, begin to take prominence in the church in such a way that those who are the have-nots, the, the more common people of that Roman society in Corinth, those are the ones who began to get marginalized. And that begins to infiltrate every part of the church. And if we work our way from the beginning of 1 Corinthians all the way through, we find that Paul, on a regular basis, steps into those kind of problems and says to them, this is killing your witness. You're killing each other. And in the process of killing each other, you're killing the witness for the cause of Christ in your society. Paul is doggedly evangelistic in his writings especially so in 1 Corinthians. And so he writes in and he begins to talk about one of those problem areas where this posturing for position has risen to the surface again, and it's in the area of spiritual gifts. We're not going to be doing a study of spiritual gifts in this particular part because really what we come to today is Paul begins to kind of chase a rabbit. Now, for those of you who are teachers out there, let me just encourage you, if you're going to chase a rabbit, chase them like Paul does. Because what Paul does in the midst of this discussion about spiritual gifts and how the abuse of those is separating the church and stratifying those people, he he chases this rabbit, if you will, and he inserts into the middle of this incredible passage about love. Well, let's just go ahead and read some of this. We're going to actually, the series will be focused in verses 4 and following of chapter 13. But for today, I I just want to start at the end of chapter 12. The second half of verse 31, most scholars would say that this is a transition half verse. The last half of the verse, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul begins with this rabbit chasing by making a summary statement looking backwards in all of this discussion of the spiritual gifts and the abuse of them. He says, let me show you. Those of you who are pushing for a higher prominent role. Let me show you a more excellent way, he says, a surpassing kind of a way. What he's going to say to us, again, in no uncertain terms, that most excellent way is love. 
Instead of posturing for a position, he says, love works. Well, let's read the first three verses of chapter 13 to show you what I mean and what Paul is saying. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, by the way, that was one of the problems in that church. There were some who felt like they had a special dispensation from God. They could speak in these other tongues and other languages, some unknown even, and that made them better than everybody else. So Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, you know this group of people, right? These are the ones like the preachers who love to stand up and yell at people and tell them what they should think. That's supposed to be a joke. I was hoping that you would catch that, but I guess not. Maybe it's too close to home. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. In this rabbit that Paul chases, we find two truths that will override this series. We are in a series starting today that will take us through Father's Day. It's a great time of the year. Mother's Day is next week. That's a hint for those of you who forgot not to forget anymore. Mother's Day is next week. One of the greatest difficult uh, situations for a pastor when he comes to preach on those special days like Mother's Day and Father's Day is not to speak to those who either are mothers or have mothers. That's all of us. But it's to speak to those who are disconnected from family units. So instead of highlighting mothers and fathers, although we'll give them their due attention over the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to see what Paul has to say about all of the relationships of our lives and how we might magnify love in our relationships. So we begin today with these two big truths. These are the two truths that will drive the entire series. It's said in two words, but it applies two different ways. The words are love works. And the first way that we want to see as we work our way through this that love works is that love actually works. It is effective in what it does. But in order for us to get to uh, support that, let's start with uh, maybe a working definition of love and put it into the proper Context, because I'm concerned that our society has no clue. Even though love makes lots of songs and love gets lots of space in our society, I'm not sure that our society as a rule really understands what love is, at least not the kind of love that God says we should embody. Love works. It's effective. But that begins with us understanding the nature of sin. Now, we've talked about this before, so I'm going to hit it fairly quickly and move on. But the reality for us is that each of us in our sin nature defaults to, I will be in control. I have long suggested that the essence of sin is a control problem. Now, don't throw elbows at your husband, okay? I, I know that we're f not our church, but the world is full of control freaks, you know how I know that? Because Scripture says, for all have sinned. The essence of our sin nature is a control problem. I will be 
in control. We saw that with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where God says, you can do whatever, whenever, however, just don't do. And Adam says, but I think I will do that. Because, you know, after all, who's God to tell me what to do? That's Roe Trammell's paraphrase of Genesis 1 and 2. The essence of sin is control, which is a me problem at the end of the day. I'll do what's best for me. I'll decide what's best for you. We build our lives that way, and we need some kind of an intervention. It's all me-focused. Love, on the other hand, and this is another thing that you've heard from me before. Hopefully, I'll say it enough, it'll begin to not just make your notes, but start digging roots deep into your hearts. Love is the investment of self into someone else. The intent of that investment is to take that person and move them, elevate them, if you will, to a place they could never go on their own. That's my working definition of love. It is the investment of self into another, and in doing so, you enable that person, you help them get to a place they could never get to on their own. That's true in marriage. That's true when a husband and a wife invest in one another. I tell young couples in premarital counseling this kind of thing. Uh, among others, I also often tell them two can live as cheaply as one, but only for half as long. But I try to double down with them at the point of what love is because I believe that our society totally gets love wrong most of the time. You listen to those song lyrics that I just quoted as we started. You find that there is this part of love that is so focused in on the self thing that this investment, this idea of investing love, investing yourself in the life of another to take them where they couldn't go uh, is foreign to our society. The best example of that is Jesus Christ. And God's love for us, to accomplish in us what we could never accomplish for ourselves, a relationship with him that was broken by sin, it required love. God investing himself for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And in the process of doing that, he allowed us to go to places of relationship with him we never could get to. So the essence of sin is control, but love is an investment of self on behalf of the other person, and that causes us to be in this conflict within ourselves. What would you say, you don't have to answer out loud here, but what would you say is the opposite of love? Now be careful how you answer that, because a lot of the times we want to immediately go to, you know, so if, if love is this, then maybe the opposite of love is hate. I would say that's probably not the best answer. It might be acceptable in some ways, but it comes back to the definition of what love is. I, I would suggest to you that probably the better way to look at the opposite of love is not to think of hate, but rather to think of to dehumanize somebody or to disengage from them. If love is investing self, then to not love is to disengage, is to be disinterested, which ultimately dehumanizes. You see, we're pretty quick to defend ourselves about not hating people. Oh, but yesterday, 
to show you how common this is. Yesterday I was in a local church, not local here, and it's really not the church that you normally think of. I was in Odessa at a Starbucks. We don't normally consider Starbucks a church, but for a lot of people, Starbucks is that. You know, that's where they go every morning to get their get-me-through-the-day shot. Uh, it's a, where a lot of people congregate and relate and those kind of things. And so maybe in some sense, it's a modern-day uh, false church, we might say. But I was in there because I needed caffeine. And I needed a little bit of quiet, a little bit of place where I could pull back from everything that was happening. We were in Odessa with Teresa's family dealing with some stuff for her mom. And uh, so I went to Starbucks to do a little bit of work. And so I sat in a corner table. Uh, but before I could get the coffee that I had ordered, a lady walked in behind me. And it was clear to me, at least, that she was different. For one thing, her clothes uh, indicated that she probably didn't have access to a washer or a dryer. The smell that came from her probably indicated that she was not able to get to a shower either. Everything about her suggested that she lived on the streets, and I suspect that probably was true because I saw her an hour later out at a street corner. She was probably my age but looked to be much older. She was distinctive in the way she looked. Her eyes had a very special piercing quality to them. The makeup, what little she had, was around her eyes, and it kind of just set her eyes off even more. And at the bottom of her lip here, it looked like her skin had been bleached, like she was maybe even uh, not well. Her appearance was not really the issue so much, although her appearance caused people to not love her, to disengage from her. It's interesting that when she walked in, that crowd of people just kind of parted disengaging. It wasn't her appearance so much that caught my attention. It was more what she had to say because she was talking to herself from the moment she walked in until the moment she walked out about five minutes later. And at one point as she sidled up next to me while we were standing there waiting for our coffee, she looked at me and then she looked at everybody else and with a trumpeting kind of a voice, she said, okay, everybody, break your pencils, break your pencils because a broken pencil kills the demons. So I moved off to the side. It was amazing how much space in that crowded coffee shop she got. And I couldn't help but think of the words that I knew that I was going to be speaking this morning and the way that I saw people disengage from her. Here's a lady who, if anybody ever needed someone to connect with her, to invest in her, it was this lady. But the world around her essentially said, we won't love you. It's a lot easier to let ourselves off the hook when we say the opposite of love is hate because most of us don't really hate anybody. But I would encourage us to be really careful as we do self-evaluations, as we work our way through this to see how often and how easy it is for us to disengage from people. 
So as we work our way through this, remember the first part of love works is that love works. It is effective. It invests itself in the people, and in the process of doing that, it fixes the places where relationships suffer. We, we find when, when our love life gets out of whack, we will find that our relationships across the board suffer. For instance, let's just go ahead and give a precursor of what's coming. Let's look at the marriage relationship. Many of us in here are married. When our love breaks down in the marriage relationship and we begin to disengage from one another, it begins to show telltale signs. Kent Crockett in his, uh, on his website has a story, and I'm sure that it's one of those preacher stories, but it sure makes the point today. So whether he tells it is true or not, I'm borrowing it from him. And he talks about this husband and his wife who are sitting in the house together, probably in the kitchen from what it sounded like, the dining area, and the wife is busy doing something, and the husband is reading the paper uh, or something, he's, and he reads this article that says, uh, well, he, he says to his wife, did you know they're telling us, psychologists tell us, that husbands and wives don't necessarily communicate well? And she went, no, really? And he said, yeah, they're saying that a woman says 30,000 words a day, and a husband usually only uses 15,000. And the wife quickly shot back. That's because a wife has to say everything twice because her husband's not listening. And he looked up from the paper and he said, what? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if that was the easiest way for us to talk about relationship breaks down, breakdowns in a marriage relationship. Be careful about disengaging inside your marriage. Our pressure schedules create that, you know. As I said when we started, we end up sharing a house together but not much of a life together. This also fits in parent-children relationships. What, who among us as a teenager did not either say or think of their parents I hate you. Finds its way into our jobs also. You know what I'm talking about. The person that people like to disengage with at work, that problem person, the one who's hard to love, the one who's always feathering their own nest at the expense of other people. The opposite of love is rampant in our society. Maybe that's why so many of our songwriters focus in on love because it's one of those things that we all need and yet it's so difficult to find in our day. So I would argue for you at the end of this first introductory kind of thing about love works and that is that it's effective is that the absence of love is a powerful force in our society these days but love is more powerful. I like to cook out on the grill and uh, my brother and I have helped each other learn how to do that through the years, most of the time from a distance. And uh, at one point, my, my brother sent me a bottle of spice. He lived in uh, Kansas at the time, and he said, I don't, I've never seen this for sale anywhere other than in Kansas. And so uh, I bought an extra one, and I sent it to you because I knew that you needed help with the way you cook out. <laughs> Speaking of not love. Um, and so I sprinkled some of that on some steaks that we had one time, 
and my mouth started having a party sort of as soon as I started eating it. It was so good. The best spice I'd ever put on any kind of meat. And I would borrow that image and pull it into our lives and into our relationships and say that when we get love right and love works, it really is effective in our lives. When we get it right, it's like great spice on a great cut of meat. It just enhances the flavor of life for us. Love works. But there's another element of this when we say love works. Not only does work, love work in that it's effective, Love works in that it must be worked. And this is the disconnect, I think, with our society and what I find in many of the songs that we hear that are out there. You just go do a, a, a Google search or a Bing search of love song lyrics and see how many of the songs, first of all, see how many there are that are out there across the generations. But listen to the way they talk about love. Almost without fail, it is a me-focused evaluation. James Taylor, when I needed someone to understand my ups and downs, there you were. You see, it's about me. It's about me feeling the love from you. It's about me receiving from you. And our culture tends to reduce love to that receiving aspect Paul will not allow us off the hook that easily. Let's jump now. We're going to jump over the passages that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And I want you to jump down to verse 1 of chapter 14. This is where Paul slays the rabbit and gets back to his point. But the final part of his little chase here is in chapter 14, verse 1, the first two words. He says, pursue love. Did you catch the difference between what Paul says and the way we tend to address love. In our society, love is about what do I get out of it. But Paul gives a directive. Paul gives it in any way. It is not get love. Paul's command to the church in this sick church that was using other people in order to feel good about themselves and elevate themselves, Paul says to them, pursue love. This is an active thing. Love works. It must be worked. This is a word picture that Paul gives us. Paul uses this imagery quite a bit. I don't have time to go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Most of you will know that. But in there, Paul says these words, but I press on to the goal. That's the same word that he uses here. It involves for us a, a, a zealous pursuit. Pursue love. Love works. It applies itself to the task with other people. So as we work our way through the series over the next five weeks or so, and I'm going to encourage you to hear it from the vantage point of not how much people are not loving me, but how much of this do I need to do with other people? Pursue love. So the question of the day is, are you working love into your relationships? Invariably, when I sit down with couples who are struggling in their marriage, at least one of them has stopped pursuing love. Invariably, when I sit down with people who have struggles at work, with those problem people, 
who climb over, over others to get to the top. Somewhere there is that loss of the pursuit of love in favor of this is not fair to me. The relationship component that adds spice to your life is love. It works. It works in that it enhances your life, but it also works in that you regularly invest it into the lives of other people. So let me just pull it down to this as we close. How is it with you and your love life? Have you responded to the greatest expression of love that has ever been given? Jesus Christ came to this earth as a picture of God's love. Love in the flesh. It was a sacrificial trip that he made. He gave up, according, we find this in other writings of Paul, he gave up the incredible vastness and richness and glory of heaven to become like you and me because God knew that we were hopeless in our sin. And his love works. Is it working in your life today? You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't, then you should respond to the love that God gives because it'll enhance your life like you can't even imagine. Scripture even says if you don't have that life, you don't have any life. Do you know Jesus Christ? If not, his invitation is made to you today and every day. What do you do with the gift of Jesus Christ, God's love as it works into your life? Many of us have long since made the decision to follow Christ and to trust him, and we've responded to that love that God gave. So how is your love life in the investment part? Are you pouring yourself into the lives of other people for their good, regardless of whether or not you get any return on that? Love works. How is it with you? Let's pray. And as we pray, I'll just invite you to personalize the message today. And if there is a decision that you need to make to follow Christ as your Savior, to turn some relationships around, to rededicate yourself into the life and the love that God shows you through Jesus Christ, now's a great time to do that. If you want to join the church, this is a great time to let us know that. This invitation time is action time to do something with what God has said to you today through the music, through the message, through his word. Father, use this time, glorify your name. Change lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.